Authenticity, curiosity, intimacy. These are important for success in your personal life. But they are also the foundations of a new mindset leading to true success, fulfillment, and happiness in business. A new business mindset is a series of conversations with business leaders in which they share the importance of real business relationships founded and based upon authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy. It is a show in which we learn how to cultivate a new business mindset and become more successful, fulfilled, and happy in our own careers. And now, here are your hosts. And welcome once again to the show. And I'm delighted to be in the company of the fine and sagacious Todd Schnick. Todd, good day to you, sir. Good day to you. Uh, second week in a row, I have no idea what that means. Sagacious? Well, you know what a sage is, right? Yeah. There you go. You are okay. a wise man, Mr. Schnick. A okay. wise man. All right. Well, you're very, very kind. Thank you. <laughs> I did not realize this show would evolve into dictionary and lessons <laughs> on words. So the, the word of the week is sagacious. Got it. So I'm looking forward very much to a conversation today. This is a wonderful part of my week is having these conversations. Before we get started, let's reflect for just a minute on uh, our conversation with Beata last week. Yeah, I always love the guests who say, oh, uh, my conversation's probably going to be boring, so you don't have to run it. Well, those are always oftentimes the very, very meaningful conversations. Yeah. She, uh, We talked about a lot of important things, uh, the, the value of having diverse passions and, and activities, uh, the importance of having faith in yourself. And then we closed on a very critically important conversation, the importance of connection and why that's lacking in most people's lives, which feeds all different kinds of disappointments and unfulfillment and depression and all those things. So a uh, really, really important conversation. It was. And at that last point, I didn't mention it last week, but there was a connection there with uh, the previous week's conversation with Laurie Cheek, which was all about breaking the ice. Well, yeah. One of the key takeaways there was about breaking the ice. So that you know, being able to have conversations with strangers and make connections is so important. Absolutely. I am delighted to have Sarah Robinson Chambliss with us today. Sarah is a teacher whose writing, speaking, and wellness practice empower individuals to lead rich and satisfying lives free from worry, stress, and fear. And Sarah is also a lifelong spiritual aspirant. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Gareth. So let's start by inviting you to tell us just a little bit about what you do. Well. I am a thinker. I like to live mindfully and pay attention to what I'm doing. I think that's what I do best. And then everything else that I do professionally sort of falls under that umbrella. I work as a women's wellness advocate, which can also be translated as a healer, although it sounds a little strange for me to call myself a healer. And I am a writer. And I had a long career in performing arts, and it seems like all of those diverse uh, pursuits have come together here in the second half of my life to allow me, hopefully, to have some impact and, and help others. Well, I started off in a way that I kicked myself for because the first question I asked you was, tell us a little bit about what you do. <laughs> as as uh, Tub will remember from last week, that was exactly what we were talking about because it's more about who you are. So thank you for telling us a little bit about who you are. I was struck with the words and these, when I gave the introduction, Sarah, these were obviously words you had given me, or mostly words you had given me. And I was struck by the words, helping people to lead rich and satisfying lives. Talk about that. What does that mean? It's a lovely goal, but what does that mean? Well, I think a lot of people live lives, to quote Thoreau, in 
a state of quiet desperation. Mm-hmm. They don't live richly. They live on the surface because they're just trying to keep up on the treadmill. And sometimes their lives start living them instead of them actually being present and being the people who are using their will to make action in their life to find satisfaction. So when I say that I try to inspire or empower people to live rich and satisfying lives, what I'm really trying to do is help people understand what it is they really want out of life. What is really authentic? What is it that twirls their ticket, so to speak, Mm -hmm. makes them want to get up in the morning, uh, gives them passion and energizes them, as opposed to all of the opposite of that, which would be to deplete them, to make them feel anxious, worried, depressed, any of the negative states that are just so pervasive in our society today. So what is it to live a rich and satisfying life? It's really simple. It's not mysterious. It's just feel that you're on track, that you're doing what you were put here on the earth to do. And that can change over a person's lifetime. And so what I try to do is to particularly bear witness to these transitions that people go through when they get to a certain point and something that used to have meaning for them no longer does, just to help them make that transition and identify, well, what does give your life meaning? I'm a big fan of um, the Viennese psychoanalyst Viktor Frankl, Mm. who uh, in Man's Search for Meaning, an autobiographical paperback that he wrote um, after his experience in, in a concentration camp in Germany, he, you know, really said that the, the thing that, that helped keep him going through all of the suffering was to find meaning in daily life. And that just really struck me at a young age. And I have sort of combined that with the notion that Joseph Campbell set forth uh, to follow your bliss. And put all of that together. And that's really what a rich and satisfying life is when you're following your bliss and you have meaning. Goodness gracious, Gareth, we could take this conversation 300 different directions. Uh, <laughs> the, the Sarah, when, when Gareth did ask you to tell us about yourself, one of the things you said was, well, I live mindfully. And, and that's been the biggest breakthrough in my life in, in attempting to live mindfully. It's one of those things I've also recognized that I'll never be perfect at and that I have to continue to work on that. But for those listening, who, I'll be honest, I think most aren't, are not living mindfully. What does that mean? And, and how do you, how does that manifest itself in a typical daily activity? Well, that's a great question, Todd. And in fact, it's a question I was addressing for myself because I don't want to put myself forward as an expert of any kind. I'm just a follow, you know, a fellow traveler along the road of life. And this morning when I was uh, doing my meditation and then my journaling later to process the meditation, I addressed this very, this very idea of living mindfully and noticed that lately because I've been traveling a lot and working a lot and, and really a lot of good things have been happening that I'm thinking a lot about the future, thinking about what I haven't done at home as I've been traveling And I've been in my head a lot. So that's not being mindful. That's being in another place, either in the past or in the future. So what I wanted to do today when I was journaling was to remind myself that the only reality is right here, right now. And how to do that? Well, to come awake, 
to be aware of the fact that I'm alive, be aware of the fact that I have breath, that I can take my forefinger and my thumb and rub them together and get the sensation of my own skin being here and now, being aware of the breath coming through my mouth and my body as an expression of my thoughts as I'm talking to you and Garrett. So that's what being mindful is. It's very simple. I think we use a lot of words to talk about things that really come so naturally to animals, other kinds of animals besides human beings, but we just have this ability to wreck ourselves with all of the thoughts and not being in the present moment. Yeah, and I recall, I like to think I'm more mindful than I used to be like you, Sarah. I would not hold myself out as an expert and certainly wouldn't pretend to do it all the time. But in those moments where I believe I am living more mindfully, I realized that looking back, I always thought I was living mindfully, even though I wasn't. Mm, (laughs) It's really hard to explain this from the outside to somebody who's not really found that groove at all. At least I find it is. How do you approach that? Because I'm sure you have conversations with people as I used to be. Well, the breath. I start with the breath. Often when I'm in a one-on-one session with someone and they've come to me for what we might call a healing, we will, you know, I'll just get them to give me sort of an assessment of where they are in their mind, their body, and their spirit in terms of their relative health. Because it's really important to think about what we think about our health, not so much what another person thinks. And so I'll notice that when they're talking to me, often they won't be breathing. And that's an indication that they're not in their bodies, that they're somewhere else. Because I know for me, if I'm not relaxed and I'm not breathing and I'm not aware of it, then I can't, I can't be here right now. So I think both of you are meditators, aren't you? Don't mm-hmm. you have a meditation practice? Yes, yes. So you know all about the breath because um, most meditation practices and most contemplative practices start with the breath, just the inhale, which is necessary, and the exhale, which is necessary. So often when I am working with someone and I can see that right away, I'll just say, do you mind if I interrupt you? Let's just stop for a minute. And I ask them to just take their forefinger and their thumb, rub it together and be aware that they're here in this body right now and be aware of the breath as it comes in and as it goes out of our bodies and just come awake, be here now. And then It's amazing when we do this, and I know you've had this experience, both of you in doing this. When we do this, we realize that right here, right now, if I'm breathing and I'm aware of myself, I don't have any problems. Everything's really great. It's only when I project out or backwards or forwards that I begin to have problems. I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's what mindfulness is to me. And that's a good way to help people become mindful because I do it myself. I I never ask anyone to do anything that I don't do myself frequently. Well, Sarah, as we record this, I'm looking out my window from a high rise and I see 11 skyscrapers chock full of business people who are unsatisfied, stressed, unfulfilled, are not living mindfully, but they're hard-driven business people and they're trying to get through to five o'clock. And when uh, when I understand and appreciate what you say when you focus on the breath, but if I walk up to someone in a suit in downtown Chicago and say, hey, you need to focus on your breath, they're going to say to me, what? I don't, I don't have any time for that hocus-pocus, uh, frilly, frilly stuff. 
But what I want to say to them is, yeah, but you got to be mindful. And, and I'd love for you to talk about some mindfulness manifestation in, in a workplace. I mean, one example that I can give easily is, is the act of listening. If you're in a meeting with a colleague and you decide to truly listen, because when you're in a meeting, typically you're thinking of the next task you have to tackle. You're double task, you're, you're multitasking, or when you are quote listening, you're listening for the next opportunity when you can say something as opposed to legitimately and truthfully listen to someone to hear, understand what they have to say. In my view, that's an act of mindfulness, is it not? Todd, that was a sagacious comment that you just made. (laughs) I see why uh, you're doing this work. Yes, of course. And deep listening is another of the important contemplative practices. You know, we're all just human, whether we work in an office or we write or we have a radio show or whatever we do, we're all working all the time. That's what we do. And so using contemplative practices like deep listening, really coming awake to yourself and saying, okay, I'm not going to think about what I am trying to get from this person or what I'm trying to put forward. I'm going to think about what they're trying to communicate to me, both verbally and non-verbally, so that I can really create a sense of presence here. So that would be what I would say to someone in a skyscraper in Chicago um, who's just overwhelmed. And I know the pace in these larger cities is, you know, I've spent a lot of time in New York City and, you know, the pace is just very, very fast. It's just to realize that you don't have to rush that you can be very effective in getting things done if you just take the time to breathe, take the time to listen, and then take the time to select your actions in response to what you've listened to. And that's a much different thing from being reactive. When we select our action, when we choose among five different things we could say or do in, re- in response to stimuli, then we actually begin to create the life that uh, we want to live, the life that is aligned with what what our true self says is important. That may not be very practical to a busy business person, but a person really has to, Todd, I think, get to the point where they're in enough pain that they really want to listen to people like us who have discovered these things, you know? They're not going to listen until they've suffered. It's just the way it is. You mentioned Viktor Frankl earlier, and I'm pretty sure it was Viktor Frankl who also observed that the one thing that the prison guards, I guess, for want of a better description, in the um, concentration camp could not do was control his state of mind. Correct. And I think that's a very, very profound idea. Uh, Happiness is a choice, and we make that choice every day, whether to be happy or not. And Viktor Frankl, by finding meaning, made a choice a mental choice every moment of every day. I think this is something that we gain the ability to do coming out of this, cultivating this mindfulness practice too, Sarah. I think so too, Gareth. And I think, you know, one of the things I remember Frankel saying about happiness, I love that you you brought that up. Happiness is not something that we can chase or pursue. It's something that actually will ensue from our pursuit of, the things we love in life or our participation in the things that we love in life. And you're right. What I was getting at with selecting your response 
in a given situation has a lot to do with not allowing your emotions or another person's opinion or anything exterior to you or inauthentic to you to um, cause you to respond in a way that's not right for you. Because that's just going to cause cause internal dissonance and conflict, which is the root of a lot of angst in our culture. There's a point that comes out of this as well, which is a, it may be a little subtle, but I think there's a, diff, a profound difference between working hard, doing a lot, and having stress. Because stress, you just, and I came to this because you used the, um, the idea of dissonance, internal dissonance. To me, stress comes out of that. It comes out of that, and it is not just being busy. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I've thought a lot about stress. And uh, as a recovering A-type personality, <laughs> I've, I've had to really look at where that comes from. And often it comes from, uh, and this is, goes along with the theme of your show, it comes from this polarized self, this, you know, there, there are all these identities, you know, father, CEO, lover, golfer, all these identities, but there's not sort of, it's sort of like Humpty Dumpty that has a lot of different pieces that's fallen apart and we have to find some way to put them all together. And for me, the way I reduce stress is to realize that there's, that all those identities are false identities. Mm -hmm. They're just labels that really there's something deeper, greater, something powerful that, that no one can ever affect by anything they do or say, and to get in touch with that. And then somehow the stress is relieved. It's just to know that I'm here and I'm alive and to try to more and more get to know that, that which is authentic, that which is eternal within me, so that I can align all of my actions and my speech and my choices in life with that Corinthian column. I like to visualize visualize it as a Corinthian column, that really solid piece of Sarah and Gareth and Todd that really doesn't change over time. Yeah. So this comes back to another theme that comes up again and again on this show, which is of uh, an integrated life as opposed to a balanced life. All those different personas, which uh, they are just personas, they're just stories we tell ourselves, right. uh, father, businessman, lover, son, whatever. Trying to balance between those can never really bring the kind of stability you're talking about. It's only by recognizing the core, by bringing those back together, synthesizing to that whole which we can integrate around. Right. And that's just all about self-knowledge. Yeah. You know, I, I call myself a self-realization teacher for want of a a better term because really all we're trying to do is realize who we are, who and what we are. And then once we know that, the truth of ourselves, we can begin to align everything that we do in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits with that core. So you're right, the word integrative, holistic is another word that yeah. people use. Well, Sarah, this has been a lovely conversation. We are about out of time, I'm afraid. Before we let you go, how can people get a hold of you if they want to carry on this conversation with you or just find out more about you and what you do? Well, I have a website. It's www.sarahrobinson.com. 
um, they can contact me that way. And there are lots of good things going on. Outstanding. So I'll put that site up on the show notes, Sarah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, Todd. It was a real pleasure. So from Sarah Robinson-Chambliss, our guest, from Todd Schnick, my co-host, and from myself, Gareth Young, farewell. Try and give yourself a, a little space to be mindful this week and join us again next time. You have been listening to A New Business Mindset, a radio show about the importance of authenticity, curiosity, and intimacy in business. To catch other great conversations and to learn more about the show, please visit us on newbusinessmindset.com. If you liked what you heard, and to really help us out, it'd be great if you'd visit and leave a review on iTunes. So thanks again for listening. A New Business Mindset will return next week.